0: Who I trust more than anyone at Birch Gold Group, text just news to 989898 98, 98 right now. Hello, America, and happy Thursday. A solemn Thursday it is. We're just a few days from the 21st anniversary of the worst and most deadly terror attack on American soil, 9-11, of course, as we all know it. And As we prepare that holiday, word came from Britain today that Queen Elizabeth II, the longest-serving monarch in British history, has passed away at the age of 96 after a, get a load of this, a 70-year reign as a monarch, never before achieved in British history. Queen Elizabeth II is one of the last connections that not only Great Britain, but the West had to the greatest generation, the World War II generation. We have a great show ahead of us in just a second. We're going to delve into the FBI misconduct allegations, the whistleblowers, the raid. We've got two great guests, Kevin Brock, former assistant director of the FBI, and then one of the most famous whistleblowers in FBI history, Basim Youssef. going to join us back to back. But I want to pause for a minute and fully appreciate Queen Elizabeth II's contribution, a lifelong champion of peace, a lifelong champion of peace through strength. And there are many different aspects of her life, and we know the tabloid part of it, we know the royal family part of it, Charles and Diana and Camilla, and all the things that are more frivolous about the royalty of Great Britain. But I want to remind you of something that a lot of people don't know or remember. But at the beginning of World War II, during Winston Churchill's reign, while Queen Elizabeth's father, King George, was still in charge, she was a young lady, and she showed that steadfast commitment to service. Though she was royalty and could easily have skipped out on any of the requirements at the time, she chose to do her service to the country. She joined the military. At age 16, I believe she gave a famous speech as a princess about why Britons needed to stay together, remain resolved in the face of the blitzkrieg that the Germans were inflicting upon British cities, including London. And then she ultimately, at age 18, joined the all women part of the British army. At that time, women under the age of 30 in Great Britain by order of the prime minister were conscripted. They were drafted into the military and there was a specific branch of the military that allowed the British women to serve. And though Queen Elizabeth could have claimed privilege, could have skipped out on that, could have made an excuse or claimed some royal title, the moment she turned 18, she joined those ranks. Eventually rising to the rank of captain in what was really known as a female brigade of the British Army. That's the sort of woman that ultimately becomes a 70-year leader in her country, in the moment of extraordinary challenge for her country when, in the middle of an existential crisis, I mean, the Germans wanted to conquer and erase Great Britain and all that it stood for. A young Queen Elizabeth, then Princess Elizabeth, showed her medal. She was willing to sign up, and just like all the other women who weren't of royal lineage, she served, and she didn't make excuses. She did it. And I think that that is one of the untold stories. I don't know if it'll even show up in a lot of the obits today, but as someone who has enjoyed history and enjoyed the British royalty from afar, and again, appreciating the American system certainly better than the British system, it is a great tribute to remember that a woman of Privilege decided to become a woman of commitment and did her civic duty so that there would be no difference between the royals and the everyday Britons whose lives were turned upside down and whose fight for freedom was an existential success. I mean, at the end of the day, Great Britain survived, the West survived, and the Nazi empire fell. And this moment of passing of a great leader, of an iconic leader, I mean, I can't think of another royal in the world, who has the fame and name recognition of Queen Elizabeth, her family clearly grieving today, her son Charles to be named King tomorrow, or appointed king, or risen to the throne tomorrow by the Council of accession. that'll happen tomorrow. But an extraordinary lady, and even into her last 48 hours of life, she helped install Liz Truss, the new Prime Minister from the Conservative Party of Great Britain, A woman who is drawing some comparisons to the iconic and unforgettable Maggie Thatcher. But a really remarkable moment that even as she was feeling ill, being sick, she made sure that Liz Truss got to her job through the royal busing of the throne that is necessary for everyone to do their Hard to imagine, 70 years in one job. What a woman, what a lady. And our thoughts are with her and on the legacy she leaves and... To all the remaining members of the greatest generation, our hats are off to you. You lost another colleague today, but we never forget your sacrifice. I hope that today's generations embrace the courage, the bravery, the tenacity, and the fortitude and the determination that our greatest generation did so that if we ever face an existential threat, we face it with the same valor that that generation did. All right. We're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we've got three consecutive interviews. First, Amanda and I spent some great time with Kevin Brock, the former assistant director of the FBI, the intelligence chief of the FBI, now retired, really one of the most respected pro-FBI voices in the country. He has some sharp, sharp criticisms and concerns of the FBI's conduct in the raid of President Trump's estate in Mar-a-Lago. You're going to hear that. What's wrong? He even believes, he makes a big prediction that the search warrant will be thrown out You're going to want to hear that interview. Then we're going to talk to one of the most famous FBI whistleblowers of the last quarter century, Basim Youssef. He blew the whistle on wrongdoing in the 9-11 era. He won. He was restored to his job. And he has some advice for those 20 whistleblowers coming forward and a plea to Congress to please protect the whistleblowers from the natural retribution that the FBI leadership will seek to exact on these whistleblowers. What a great experience. Amanda and I had a great moment to talk with him. And then we're going to finish up with a fellow journalist, someone who is building a whole new ecosystem in the states, in at least 13 states, I think it is, in an extraordinary moment of disruption in journalism, an extraordinary moment of abandonment. A lot of Americans, tens of millions of Americans, don't believe the news media serves their interest anymore. Michael Patrick Leahy, much like what I've done with Just the News at the national level, Michael Patrick Leahy has started... The Star News Network, 13 state newspapers, Arizona, Georgia, Florida, Michigan, Ohio, lots of important states where he's developing trusted news organizations. He's got some big developments, the start of a TV program in the all-important state of Arizona, and a recent success in Tennessee that shows that good journalism, when practiced right, still has an impact in the public interest. We're going to talk to Michael about that. But first, let's have a quick commercial break here hear from our great sponsors, advertisers, and partners Their products, their services, if you support them, you're supporting us. So we'll hear from them, and then we'll turn right away to my good friend and the great former FBI supervisor, Kevin Brock, right after this commercial message. Folks, financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year, and then the inflation data came out. who i trust more than anyone at birch gold group text just news to 98 98 98 right now folks if you get your wallet stolen or your cell phone or your car we know what it is it's old-fashioned theft it's crime we know it criminals now have a new way to steal our most valuable asset our homes older americans are most vulnerable to these types of thefts and that's because they more often own their homes outright an 88 year old florida woman recently discovered that scammer has forged her signature, created a fake deed to her home, and then took her property. Those who buy a property from a deed theft scammer often become victims as well. What can you do to protect yourself? It's simple. My good friends at Home Title Lock provide the premier detection technology to protect your home Find out for free when you use my code JUSTNEWS at sign-up. You'll get a free comprehensive scan of your home's title and 30 days of legendary home title lock protection free. So go to hometitlelock.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS. That's the promo code JUSTNEWS at hometitlelock.com. Go there today. The fallout is beginning to spread from yesterday's ruling by a federal judge that appointed a special master to review evidence in the Trump raid. The ruling is a win for President Trump, but it is remarkable for another reason. It confirms what we've been reporting right here on this show. First, it shows that the FBI's probe of Donald Trump began with a request from President Biden. That's right, his chief rival started the criminal case. Second, it shows the FBI overcollected all sorts of evidence at Mar-a-Lago, not covered by the warrant, including clothing, medical records, tax documents, passports, and get a load of this. 500 pages of attorney client privileged materials and finally the judge's ruling confirms for the first time that the DOJ's so-called filter teams the guys who were supposed to keep privileged materials from falling into the investigators hands well they failed to do that privileged documents in at least two instances got to the frontline investigators so much for the DA- DOJ's honor system now our first guest has been warning of the flaws in that unprecedented raid of the Trump estate even predicting his former agency will regret its decision to criminalize a records dispute with the former president. He is former FBI Assistant Director for Intelligence, Kevin Brock, and he joins us right now. Kevin, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, John. Hi, Amanda.
0: Good, good to have you on. Listen, I want to get your thoughts on some of the revelations. It's one thing to have a special master, but as you read through this ruling, you see a significant amount of overcollection, and all the alleged safeguards that the FBI have in place seem to fall to the wayside during this raid, your first impressions.
1: First impression, John, was I read through it, was uh, that this was a fairly significant or pointed slapdown of the government's request to uh, avoid having a special master um, appointed by the court. Uh, The judge knocked down almost every argument that they put up, except maybe one or two. And um, and, and also to your point, there was an undercurrent throughout this whole order that demonstrated or showed or revealed that the government had collected more documents, more items than the search warrant empowered them to collect. And that of course is concerning obviously from a constitutional protective uh, basis, but also I think the government would be concerned as well because there's concern that the, the, the search warrant itself uh, was overly broad from the get-go because of the scope that they were looking for. Every single document generated during the Trump administration just seemed uh, inexcusably overbroad. And now there's indications that uh, they collected much more than they were authorized to collect. So if I'm a prosecutor, I am concerned going forward that this search warrant could be suppressed and uh, for, for those types of reasons, and they would lose access to anything that was collected um throughout the search as as a uh, fruit of the poisonous tree so i think that's got to be in the back of their minds um and um and 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 it was just a, a very interesting expose of the types of things that were collected by the government that indicate you know i don't know if sloppiness is the word but not the right level of care that i would expect in a routine search warrant, let alone one that's targeting a former president of the United States.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's it's concerning to see. And, you know, a lot of the overcollection was paper. It was paper-type materials. But when I hear that they collected clothing, I'm going to safely assume that the former first lady, Melania Trump, did not have uh, micro SD cards of special access program information sewn into the hem of her clothing why I, I don't understand an instance where that would be justified other than maybe if you're looking for uh, i don't know a blue dress or something but is, does that seem strange to you
1: it did uh, i've i've not encountered anything like that unless there were particular items of clothing that the president was given uh during you know and i'm speculating here but you know the president meets with all kinds of foreign dignitaries the president has Encounters with folks where perhaps they they wanted to discreetly record information. Um, And if there was sensitive techniques built into some of his clothing. Perhaps Uh, I've not heard of that, but uh, that's the only thing. That's the only place my brain went to.
0: Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people were scratching their head. Kevin, FBI agents are so well-trained, everyone I've ever met. They, they really follow the DIAG, the Domestic Investigations Operations Guide. And the guide is really clear. It really is a less is more uh, thing, which is you should take the least intrusive route. And that includes when you're doing a search warrant, being as narrow as possible. When you hear that agents were taking medical records, tax records, documents that were clearly staffed, a- a- attorney, client privilege, that doesn't seem consistent with their training, does it?
1: Not at all. Um, in, in any search, uh, I don't care if it was a, a drug trafficker or or a, a child exploiter or whatever. You go into a home, you set up a system where those things that you seize are assiduously documented. Uh, they are given a specific uh, tracking number, barcode, if you will. Um, and each piece has gone through meticulously before you leave the premises to make sure that it's within the scope of the document. And that's only part one. Part two is, uh, the, the warrant is not to be overly broad as to what parts of the, um, of the residence can be searched. Uh, it, you can only search those things where it's reasonably expected you would find the type of evidence that you are looking for. So, theoretically, could the president have hidden documents in his wife's wardrobe or his son's room? I suppose so but and and the, and the courts will allow a certain amount of, of leeway. Um, but generally that has to be specific as well. And when when we see results that look like it's that doesn't have that level of specificity that's called for in, uh, by, through Fourth Amendment protections, then um, it raises questions and, and concerns obviously.
2: And, and Kevin, on one hand, this is an unprecedented number of um, of whistleblowers. But on the other hand, the FBI, I believe, has over 30,000 employees. You've got Republicans clamoring to uh, replace Director Ray, But my concern is that even if you cut off the head of the beast and you appoint something else, with, with President Joe Biden being the one who would appoint that person, does that change the politicization of that position? And does the cancer run too deep in the agency anyway?
1: Amanda, I think there are ways that... The FBI can forestall this type of thing from happening again. Uh, you may recall when Louis Free became director back in the early 1990s, he encountered some some difficulties with agent behavior, and he issued a now very famous what he called a bright line memo, where he established bright lines of behavior uh, that were commonplace up until his uh, until he became director, and soon thereafter ended as soon as he drew the bright line. I think we can have similar types of of bright lines drawn regarding agent involvement in social media postings and and uh, outwardly taking outwardly political stances. Uh, We can have bright lines that draw delineations around certain behaviors that are that have been become concerning over the last few years and make sure that they don't happen again. So there are steps that can be taken, but uh, but I agree any director should uh, should have as one of his or her top priorities, uh, drawing boundaries or guidelines around those types of behaviors that's going to um, going to hack away at the trust that the American people have in the FBI. It's very important.
0: Yeah, it is. And I know you've been big on this. I know uh, Director Ray said he put some new rules in place to make sure that election year meddling didn't occur again. But you see, even in this judge's ruling, a pretty remarkable statement that the investigation began with a re- instruction from President Biden to send the documents to the FBI to begin an investigation. The idea that Joe Biden and the White House were somehow involved at the initiation point of this investigation, how unusual is that as someone who'd been in the bureau, what, thir- three decades? That, did you ever see a president direct an investigation before?
1: No, <laughs> not <laughs> at all. And it is startling, obviously. Uh, they, as as the order points out, and as we've known, there was continuing dialogue and conversation between the former president and the National Archives. Uh, there seemed to be a cooperative spirit. Uh, documents were turned over, 15 boxes were turned over in January, 2022. In May, they turn around and National Archives notifies uh, former President Trump that they're going to turn those boxes over to the FBI. Now, that's a major escalation, obviously. but And it jumped out to me as well, John. Uh, right after that, it said, at the request of the incumbent president. Now, that's not going to calm anybody's concerns that uh, there weren't political motivations uh, lurking behind all of these actions.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Well, that's why we're so glad we have you on and often, and Kevin. You really make sense of this stuff, and you call balls and strikes without regard to politics. We're so grateful for your time today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, folks, when we come back, we're going to have a great conversation with Bassem Yusuf, one of the most famous FBI whistleblowers. He knows what those 20 whistleblowers are going through. He's going to describe it right after this commercial message. Hey, folks, it's John Solomon here. Today, I want to shine a light on AMAC, an organization who's dedicated to America's seniors but is vital for conservatives of all ages. AMAC stands out with the wisdom of experience and our quest to keep this country great. Sign up now for amac.us slash justnews. And for a limited time, you get a free gift membership for someone else who shares your love for our great nation. Don't miss out on this chance to make a difference from AMAC. Join today at amac.us slash justnews. That's amac.us slash justnews. And extend the invitation to a friend, About two decades ago, I had the privilege to work on a series of stories that exposed some of the failures that the FBI committed in the lead up to the 9-11 terror attacks. And in the course of that, I had the privilege to meet an extraordinary man, a man who had the courage to speak up, to tell the truth, to highlight wrongdoing, and to do it in the face of extraordinary retribution. FBI agent Basim Yosef made a difference. He ultimately was vindicated. Uh, restored to his job, and the FBI became a better agency because of his whistleblowing. And we are lucky tonight to have him joining the show. Boston, great to have you on the show.
3: Thank you, John. It's good to be here with you.
0: You are one of the uh, FBI's most famous and impactful uh, whistleblowers. You made a difference in the bureau. And there are these reports out there now. 20 FBI agents have come forward to blow the whistle. The Senator Grassley, Senator Johnson, Congressman Jim Jordan, all with the same narrative that somehow that great storied agency that you work for is making decisions politically, not by the law, but by politics. What's your impression when you hear of these whistleblower reports?
3: You know, just the first thought that comes to mind, John, is uh, uh, just the plight of all those whistleblowers of what they have to deal with inside the agency. Um, And I hope to God that um, that Congress takes note and protects them. Um, When you have one whistleblower on a major issue, um, I think we should take note. But when you have many whistleblowers, um, I, I think we have no choice but to take note and to see what can be done about the issue.
2: Awesome. I know a lot of people admire your courage in coming forward. And you talked about the treatment that people get when they do come forward as whistleblowers. Talk to us. First of all, for those who aren't familiar with what happened for you 10, 12, 14 years ago, um, give everybody kind of a brief overview of that and how you were treated.
3: Uh, Thanks, Amanda. Uh, It was around uh, 2001, right after the uh, 9-11 attacks. I had just come back from Saudi Arabia. I was a legal attache. Um, uh, first legal attaché at the embassy at that time uh, in the aftermath of Cobar Towers. Um, with with uh, an, an investigation of this magnitude, it was obvious that the FBI had to pull all its resources and it was all hands on deck without a doubt. Um, however, I was sidelined and uh, it was a mystery at first. I didn't realize what was going on. I was uh, detailed to the agency, uh, CIA at the time, um, and in fact, the head of uh, the section that I was working was telling me that I will be leaving soon because of my counterterrorism background and that I won't finish my detailed assignment. Um, that didn't happen. And uh, long story short, uh, it got to the attention of the Hill. Um, FBI director at the time uh, uh, um, was uh, was called to the Hill to, uh, to see what this was all about, how is it that the... Um, uh, the most senior Arabic speaking agent uh, who has worked terrorism his entire career, not be working on 9-11. And because of that, I think uh, it, it sort of caused bad blood between me and the director at that time that was Muller, uh, uh, Mueller. Um, and the retaliation was relentless. Basically from day one, uh, I was, uh, I was kept out of assignments. Uh, I wasn't allowed to finish my inspections. Um, and, and basically, uh, my career was put on ice uh, for a good while.
0: It was. I had the privilege once to interview uh, Director Free, Louis Free, who called you one of the most important agents that ever worked in the Bureau. Your efforts to open up Saudi Arabia as a cooperating, we're used to it now, but back in the 90s, that wasn't a sure thing. You opened that up with your work and you made the FBI better and then you got punished for it. But I want to take you to today because we take a look at this rate. You've probably executed and you've been uh, involved in search warrants. When you see President Trump's uh, Mar-a-Lago compound being raided by the FBI, a very broadly worded search warrant, and then a lot of over-collection, things like medical records that FBI agents know they're not supposed to take, how do you interpret the early actions of the Bureau in that raid, in that search warrant?
3: Yeah, John, I I will say that the first thought that came to mind was a a lesson that we learned at the Academy uh, back in 1988, and that is you escalate from low threshold to high threshold in any situation. And so here, um, it should have been dealt with uh, between attorneys, between DOJ, FBI attorneys, and uh, uh, former President Trump's attorneys. Uh, this was not the case, because if, it, if that was the case, I believe there would have been some kind of agreement. Um, the, the way that this was escalated to a level, especially against a former president, it's just not just unprecedented, but it was incredulous, uh, really, when you think about it. Uh, so that was the first thought that came to mind is how could this have come to that point without having, you know, incrementally moved in that direction? Um, so that that to me was was a was a big uh, a big flag.
2: Bassem, uh this weekend, we uh, will be observing the anniversary of 9-11 for a lot of Americans. That is still deeply, deeply painful. But I remember back in the early 2000s, uh, you talked about how the FBI had expressed a shortage of Arabic-speaking agents. You are fluent in Arabic. Uh, in Has that changed uh, as far as the number of Arabic-speaking agents and also... Nowadays, are we as prepared or better prepared or less prepared to face up against another Islamic terrorist attack?
3: You know, I think, Amanda, we have had more um, Arabic speaking agents since I've come in. Uh, In 1988, when I came in, uh, I was the first um, Arabic speaking agent uh, with a fluent level um, of of, uh, Middle Eastern descent, of uh, Egyptian descent. Um, I believe the Bureau at the time that I left when I retired in 2014, uh, we've had probably uh, maybe 10 to 12 Arabic-speaking agents. But considering going from 1 to 10, it seems like a staggering difference. Uh, Having only 10 Arabic-speaking agents uh, against the threat and the specter of uh, Middle Eastern terrorism is really um, minuscule. And uh, we certainly need to beef that up, not just in terms of Arabic speakers, but Arabic speakers who have expertise in in counterterrorism um, and spe- specifically Islamic uh, terrorism. Uh, you know, going back to um, uh, going back to uh, the affidavit and the search warrant. Um, again, I couldn't help but think of what the bureau did with the uh, Carter Page FISA affidavit. Um, that in itself would be a good telltale sign of how this uh, this most recent affidavit has been constructed and, uh, and put together. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, not, not just uh, Carter Page's FISA. Mm-hmm. Here's a FISA that was initially approved by the deputy director, uh, Andy McCabe, and it was sent back because obviously there, the, the four FISA judges saw their issues with it. The next person that approved it the same FISA, with the same information, was uh, then Director uh, Comey, and the same thing. It was turned back, and it went all the way to Deputy or Acting Attorney General uh, Rod Rosenstein, Uh, and somehow it got approved, but it was because of some modifications put to it, and that is um, the, the, uh, the characterization of the source, which is a technical matter. Uh, was changed, um, and in fact, we find that the Pfizer affidavit itself had false information and inaccurate information. So that was one. Um, then the way that uh, General Flynn was treated, um, and and then again, that just shows the repertoire of how the FBI deals with these issues. Um, and then with uh, the attorney, the uh, FBI headquarters attorney Kevin Kleinsmith, who who actually doctored up. The, uh, the, uh, the EC, uh, or I believe it was a 302. Um, so those are egregious, egregious offenses uh, perpetrated by FBI uh, employees and FBI officials um, that uh, one has to think, what is next?
0: That's a very good question. 30 seconds left we got before the commercial break. bossom the job that Chris Ray has done, has he done enough to acknowledge the problems and put in enough punishment to deter future bad behavior?
3: No, I don't believe that uh, that the current director has done what he should have done or what needed to be done, uh, specifically with uh, with the way that he has not dealt with uh, rogue agents uh, and, in fact, protected them. Uh, that, to me, is uh, is inexcusable.
0: Yeah, there's so much we're going to learn, I fear, in the next few weeks. Boston, we are so grateful for your service to the country and for coming on tonight and giving us a good take on what's going on inside the
3: FBI. Thanks so much. Thank you, John. Thank you, Amanda.
0: Hey, folks, when we come back, join us. Michael Patrick Leahy, a man on a mission to build a new journalism ecosystem in the states, kind of building state equivalents that are a lot like just the news, uh, but at the state level with local news, it's so important to people. He's going to tell us about what's going on in his star news empire that he's building. 13 states now. Really remarkable. We'll have that right after this commercial break. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. Our next guest is an American hero, former acting secretary of the Defense Department, a brave soldier uh, before that. And I think one of the sages' voices when it comes to national security policy in America. Joining me right now, the former Secretary of Defense, Christopher Miller. Chris, great to have you on the show, sir.
4: John, thank you, sir. And I can say definitively, and without hesitation, I'm none of those things that you described me as, I was just a, a guy who's trying to do his job and was really blessed to be able to serve my country in uniform for, geez, I can't even keep up for how many years, but thanks
0: for that. Well, we're blessed that you served our country. That's one of the things I do know. I've met so many people who know the, the contributions you've made to this country and they hold you in the highest regard, which is, uh, is a really amazing thing to have accomplished in your career. Um, we're on the 21st anniversary. Sunday will be the 21st anniversary of that horrible day, nine 11 uh, We've come a long way. We have an infrastructure in America that is is now built to fight terrorism. But it seems as though the last year has been a step backwards, particularly in terms of Afghanistan being a safe haven for the really bad guys. Your assessment as we head into this uh, solemn weekend?
4: Uh, it's a solemn weekend. You You just nailed it. Gosh, 21 years ago, and not, John, remember how the country came together? Uh, we, I, I think we forget that sometimes. That it was so, it was such a tragedy, and it was so emotional. But man, I'm I'm trying to remember the good because after this last year, where uh, we lost the war in Afghanistan and we lost 13 heroes, and and uh, to see Afghanistan become a sanctuary again uh, is just kind of kind of hard hard to stomach right now, to tell you the truth, man.
0: Yeah, it it really is. And when you look at the assessments, and this is something, you had an orderly plan to make sure that the one thing we gained in the 20 years of war, driving out uh, the safe haven for al-Qaeda, ISIS, and others, that that wouldn't be lost. Biden scrapped the plan. How much uh, safety do the bad guys, the terrorists, the ISIS-K, the uh, al-Qaeda folks have in Afghanistan compared to, let's say, 15 months ago?
4: Well, it seems like they have unhindered access right now. I mean, we saw bin Laden's replacement was killed in a brilliant strike. I mean, uh, credit goes to those that are still fighting the war on terror, and they did a remarkable job. But the fact that bin Laden's replacement was sitting in downtown uh, Kabul, you know, being protected by the Taliban and Haqqani who support them as well for, I think, what the reports are. He kind of showed up in April and we finally killed him, and uh, thank goodness! Great, great operation. But that's really troubling, right? The one one lesson we learned, John, of this last doggone war was: you can't let these terrorists have sanctuary. You can't ha- let them have a place where they can plan and train and rest. And and it uh, looks like uh, pretty bad pretty bad indicator if uh, the doggone head of Al-Qaeda was living in a, a guest house of the Taliban.
0: Yeah, and sun, sun, sunning himself on the deck. I guess he didn't feel too uh, too uh, pressured to be moving or be undercover, which really, really jumps out at us. Um, you have had the pleasure both in civilian life and in your military service to serve alongside those families that have had to pay enormous sacrifices, whether it's a grievous injury or the ultimate sacrifice. Of, of being killed in the in the defense of your country. What do those families that have endured the 20 years of war that followed 9 11 still need from their government, still need from all of us, their fellow citizens in this country?
4: Well, that is a great question, man. You don't you don't ask easy questions, John?
0: <laughs> Sorry about that.
4: No, it's all right, man. It's really thought provoking. Uh, I'll tell you, I had this really interesting interaction with the Vietnam war veteran a while ago, and he said, Chris, the time to be concerned is not right now. The time to be concerned is 20 years from now uh, when you all, when veterans are older and a lot of these things are going to come back, the physical ailments and the emotional injury Who's going to come back? And I get the feeling I, I, I'm going to give a shout out. I know you're in, you're not going to like this. Your viewers are going to be, or your listeners are going to be coming in and sending nastygrams. I really admire the fact that the Veterans Administration, the Biden administration, at long last, has recognized those that have been injured by toxic waste, the the burn pits they call them. And I got to tell you know, props to him for getting that through. We did a lot of work on that as well. As a matter of fact, the last thing President Trump signed uh, before he left office was an executive order directing the Veterans Administration and the Department of Defense to move more rapidly on getting those veterans that were exposed to those toxic chemicals, the help they need. So I was really glad to be a very small part of that. But I want to give credit to Uh, the Biden administration for getting that through. But I'll tell you something. I am a little hurt that Jon Stewart had to go be the one to shame Congress for doing the right thing on that. He did. He was relentless. Yeah. He was relentless, man. It was good for him. uh, Really did the right thing. And that, I guess, is the point I'm trying to make, is that when we have to rely on Jon Stewart and celebrities to go – force Congress to do the things that they should be doing for veterans, I think it's very troubling, and I'm, I'm bothered by that. And as the war passes, I think you might have seen the Department of Defense soldiers, when they serve overseas in a combat zone, receive a ribbon. Uh, it's called the National Defense Service Ribbon, and it means that your nation's at war. As a matter of fact, as soon as you show up, if you volunteer to serve in the military, as soon as you show up and you're sworn in, you receive this ribbon that shows that you have volunteered to serve your country at a time of war. Uh, that ribbon will no longer be uh, awarded soon. And that is a great thing for our country, right? That we're not at at war right now. But by the same token, that's an indicator. It's cautionary for me because I'm worried that we're going to start forgetting about this, the wars and, and the sacrifice that our veterans gave and more particularly the families. And it's a canary in a coal mine. Uh, John, you can see how they the government treats gold star families. Gold star families are those that lost a loved one in the line of duty, and that's where you pay attention and i'm telling you you mark my words the uh the doggone resources that are going towards those programs will start drying up soon, and that's when that's what really worries me
0: We need to step into that void we in fact we can't uh, let that void happen. I mean there are already uh, lots of veterans on the street with homelessness and Uh, We can't we can't let that void occur because it will worsen a situation quickly. You um, I I kept this for a long time ago, uh, but two years ago, as we were approaching the 19th anniversary of uh, the the um, 9-11 tragedy, you wrote a really powerful op-ed about winding down the war, what the priorities had to be. And the final paragraph has resonated with me all these years. And The last couple of years, I've kept this in the mind because you had the right objective in the end this year. I'm going to just read that last paragraph. I don't know if you remember. It was in the Washington Post, but... You wrote, Al-Qaeda misgaged the United States' enormous resolve and fortitude. We do not seek or desire the war the terrorists started, but we will end the war on our terms. Other individual groups who want to harm Americans should study our war against Al-Qaeda. We will pursue terrorists to the ends of the earth, never stopping until the job is done. You guys had a plan to end the war on our terms. It seems like Joe Biden decided to end the war on the Taliban's terms. How did that happen?
4: Thanks for remembering that art that op-ed. And John, you realize in most government officials they have a, a ghostwriter; they have like a, so, somebody write the article for them. I wrote that article. I could tell. You it's your it's your and voice. You from, know
0: it right away the yeah. second you read it. I can hear your voice. <laughs>
4: it, it it was it was from it was from the heart, you know. And I sat late at night doing that because I did have a draft that just completely missed it, and I wrote it myself. And uh, you know, I Al Qaeda attacked us and you know they thought we were going to be weak and we were going to roll over and how many times have we heard that from our enemies where they oh you know the americans are soft and they saw they saw the power of america and the in the war you brought it up a couple times and i'm i'm trying not to be like uh crying over spilt milk but our plan uh that that a lot of people uh on the left and in the, the democratic party refused to acknowledge was that we were going to rock find that war down responsibly and the goal and what we were going to do was we were going to maintain a small presence there in Afghanistan, where our special operators, our counterterrorist forces, and our intelligence professionals could maintain awareness of what was going on in that country. And if something, if uh, Al Qaeda or another group that had international terrorist ambitions cropped up, we'd attack them right there. Because like I said, we learned you can't have sanctuary. And uh, th- it's been forgotten, frankly, by a lot of what's going on now. But uh, you, you just, it didn't have to end that way. Uh, I'll say that to my dying breath. And we just showed profound weakness in the way we, I want to be clear, the, the men and women that served over there and brought out 125,000 refugees and American citizens and others uh, deserve a huge debt of gratitude, but their leadership let them down on that one. Their leadership at the senior level of the Pentagon, at the National Security Council, and the Oval Office completely let them down. And uh, I would just hope, gosh darn it, can we just learn some lessons from this? Let's, let's not learn this one again, John. That's, that's my goal.
0: Yeah, no, it's so amazing. You know, uh, it hasn't gotten the attention it deserved because it occurred during a busy time, but this past spring, uh, the former CENTCON commander, General McKenzie, said the words that needed to be said because there had been great obfuscation about what did Joe Biden know before he pulled the plug? Did anyone say, hey, don't give up, Bagram? Did anyone say leave 2,500 troops behind? And General McKenzie, uh, to his great credit, said, said what needed to be said, which is, we told the president, don't go below 2,500 troops. Don't give up, Bagram. I know we were heard, and the end is what it was, meaning that the president just turned down the advice of his best commanders. Um, the Much of the media coverage has ignored that pretty remarkable uh, statement from the top commander that he wasn't listened to, that the military chiefs weren't listened to. Your thoughts on that uh, failure to listen to the military leadership?
4: Why is that? That I, I've noticed that. And you get little dribs and drabs of kind of the rest of the story that really happened. And I haven't seen it widely reported. You know, well, heck, I'll go there. The one six stuff. I mean, I'm not a, uh, absolutely horrified by that whole thing, but there have been like, you know, thousands and thousands of gallons of ink, ink written on that down to the Down to the nanosecond, and half of it's still wrong. I mean, I'm like, is somebody going to do it right ever? I hope you do. But we talk about, but then we lose this war, right? We lose this war with all this human loss on their side and our side, and nobody's being held accountable for it. And that, to me, is just like the ultimate disgrace and kind of where we are Right now, is that someone I want someone to stand up and go, you know, I'll accept responsibility for what happened out there. And that's the way I was raised when I was brought up in the military. And I haven't seen that yet. And that's the one that really causes problems in the ranks, too, because, you know, it's that whole cliche about "do as I say, not as I do." No, that's not the that's not the military ethic. It's "do as I say, do as I do," and I'm not seeing that right now. And I'm really bothered by that. That I think is more troubling than the fact that we lost the war. I think bad things happen, but you know somebody needs. There has to be accountability. I haven't seen it yet.
0: Yeah, and, and the failure to learn from this will only. Justin, another generation to make the same mistake again. I know you wanted those after action reports out thus far. They they seem to have been tied up with a little bit of politics, but you get a sense, the politics aside, the political leaders getting interfering, the the day, the the the, the real day-to-day people in the Pentagon, they've done that, that deep reflection to try to make sure we don't make this mistake. That says something about the day-to-day people of the Pentagon, doesn't it?
4: I think it really does. And you know, there's there's this idea that the military is becoming politicized, and we were accused of that, which there's nothing further from the truth. I see what's going I see what's going on right now, and I'm really really concerned. And it's not being widely reported. I know the secretary, former Secretary of Defense, and all these wrote some. I, I I they basically it was a very nice op-ed that described civil military relations, but there wasn't a so what on it. They never called anybody out. But I just want to highlight that the people the the people that do the work over there at the Pentagon and down in our geographic component commanders across the world I mean it's just remarkable, and you know. What they just serve whoever is in charge at the time with dignity and respect and in, in accordance with the Constitution. Everybody, even even civilians, swear an oath to the Constitution when they take a job in in the United States government. And I thank you for highlighting that, John. That they're just over there trying to do the right thing. But it's really important. It's really important that we capture these things. Everything, the after action system is is really distinctive for the United States military and the Department of Defense, and they really need to get that thing out, because that's how people learn, and that's where people have a voice, and that's, it's, it's history, and it's really, really important, because you don't want to make the same mistakes again.
0: Yeah, we don't, and uh, we're in danger. If they if they suffocate those reports for too long, they're in danger that we'll, we'll not learn all the lessons that were meant to be learned. I want to ask one last question, because it's been a tumultuous uh, 24 to 48 hours in, um, (coughs) excuse me, Great Britain. Uh, First, uh, an ascension of Prime Minister, uh, Boris Johnson uh, resigns, Uh, Liz Truss comes in, Uh, and then uh, within 48 hours of that, the Queen, the longest reigning monarch in British history, Queen Elizabeth II dies, a moment of transition uh, in that country, one of our great allies. What are you thinking about, first about the Queen's legacy and to the opportunity now of a new generation of leaders coming up in that great country?
4: I wanted to ask you about that, but I knew uh, we were going to talk about Afghanistan and I didn't want to, like, uh hijack your show because I wanted to start <laughs> out with, with, I actually wanted to talk about that right up front, but I thought it might be somewhat, not disrespectful, but, you know, I really wanted to highlight and, and, and highlight the sacrifices made by the families of those that are lost, but I was thinking about the Queen and you know, you really that greatest generation Tom Brokaw talked about, and you know, frankly, some of the some people now are like, oh, let's not talk about the greatest generation. That was hyperbolic. No, no, it wasn't. And she represented that generation. And the fact. Oh, my gosh. Isn't it? It's it's just an end of an era. And I'm a little sad to tell you the truth, you know, because we compare those gigantic leaders like her. And from that era where there was an existential struggle and they, how they carried themselves with dignity and respect and composure and discipline. And now to see the nonsense that happens now over just such silly things, John. And so I've got to tell you, though, I'm not going to be down. I'm, there, there's hope. And in dark times, great people always step forward. That's the beauty of our, our country. And I think that's the beauty of the uh, United Kingdom, too. But it, it is a sad day
0: yeah no there's no doubt and you're right that she she was she, that resolve that you know i when i think of the queen and i met I interviewed a lot of people about her over the years she had a resolve which is we're going to fix things we're going to still hold steady we don't have to bend goodness will prevail when you when you put your best effort forward and that that was the resolve of her entire generation all the world war ii great vets we had here and um a little bit of that history fades with her passing as one of the last great leaders from that from that era Uh, Mr. Secretary, just before we go, uh, you are a solutions guy. You're an ideas guy. I love that about you. I know you've been thinking about uh, the state of the Pentagon and how do we get it to a a different uh, position? Recruitment's down. More, more. There seems to be more focus on social engineering than the some of the strategic military objectives we ha- and challenges we have with China, Russia. Um, what are some of the things that, as Republicans, potentially have an opportunity to take control of at least one chamber of Congress next year? That solution makers should be thinking about to get this Pentagon where it wants to be for the next generation of war fighting.
4: Yep, and we're still fight refighting the Cold War with these gold plated, platinum plated weapon systems that. Will not survive in uh in the next uh if we ever and it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when let's make it as far out as we possibly can so we have time to repair but we have to retool uh our entire national security architecture and i'll tell you where it starts and i'm going to yell that but man we got it <laughs> we got to look at that budget and i'll yep. tell you what john until they can do a clean accounting uh, like any business does or any household does where they can tell us what they're spending. I wouldn't give them, I, I cut their budget dramatically. And there's another thing when you have so much money, we're paying 1.25 trillion over a trillion dollars in national security. You know, that's about 50% of, uh of the available budget dollars. Uh, I think we got to really rethink whether, and let's be honest, we got two great oceans. There's no existential threat. The Chinese, absolutely, uh, we're in competition with them, but uh, I think we need to think about how we compete with them. And I think they're laughing all the way to the bank as we continue to spend all this money on these weapon systems that aren't gonna be effective. And we need to think about how we're going to compete with them. We And here, back to your point though, you made earlier, we got great people that are really, really smart, and we need to free them from the constraints that they're currently operating under, because the forces of the military and industrial complex that Eisenhower warned us about—they're sure really strong. Yeah. And and uh, so I could go on all day, but hey, I'll give you a <laughs> plug. You know, you know, I've got a book coming out. It's that's clear. It's—it seems like it just soldier cleared, uh, it's soldier it, secretary. It's hey, John. That thing was stuck over at the Pentagon. I thought we were going to have to sue them. It looks like it's going to be freed soon, oh, which is huge. News. Uh, and then, uh, I've got 10 recommendations in there and I kind of gave you one of them already, but, uh, yeah, I think this is really important. American people need to pay attention to this because we just can't keep throwing money at a problem no. without some sort of strategy or nope. plan. So Status thank you quote. for making, thanks for making sure that we recognize this and people start talking about
0: it. Uh, listen, what you, what you do, I'm so excited for this book. i I think due out in February, right? That's the current uh, arc for it. Uh, it's going to be one of the great ideas book. It's. It, it, it. I know what it's going to do. It's going to have that incredible insight and the inside stories that make, you know, your storytelling interesting, but it really has solutions. You You are one of the, the big idea thinkers in a in a place that's so uh, wedded to status quo. And I can't wait. I think this is going to be an extraordinary disruptive moment uh, in the book. So folks, if you haven't done this already, go do what I just did a few a months ago. Go to Amazon or Barnes & Noble, Books & Mail, wherever you buy your books, Reserve a copy now of the book, Soldier Secretary. It is Secretary Miller's uh, masterpiece. It's going to come out in February. We're all going to be thinking about the future of the world over these next few months as the Russia war wages on. China continues to be aggressive. This book is going to be a must read. It's probably the only book I'm looking forward to uh, the most in the the next uh, six months. So go uh, get a copy now, get a hardcover, get an e-book, whatever you like. But get in line because this is going to be a must read if you're concerned about the future of the country. And Mr. Secretary, before we go, I just want to thank you for all you do for your country, your service in uniform, your service in civilian life, your innovation and disruptive thinking uh, in in all the places you serve, the counterterrorism role, the Pentagon. Uh, When America is down on certain days and we feel down on ourselves, we have to keep reminding ourselves that this country produces incredible Americans like you. And that should put a smile on our face.
4: John, you're too kind, and I'm really unworthy, and I mean that sincerely. Uh, you, you motivate me. I know me. otherwise. <laughs> uh, I was just, I would just, I would just so, I would just so honored to be able to serve my country for 30-something years, and I just want to keep doing it in any way I can. And thank you for what you're doing and making these issues public,
0: and so we talk about them. Yeah, it's an important weekend for us to get back in touch with a little bit of history and never forget, and start to build that next generation of good security. Um, uh, policy and uh, spending. So, sir, it's an honor to have you on. I hope you enjoy this solemn weekend. We'll all be thinking about the loved ones lost over the last 20 years, 21 years, but um, we sure appreciate your time and your and your thoughtful uh, leadership, your thought leadership that we need so badly in this country right now. So thanks again. Thank you. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we'll wrap things up for the day. And use the promo code JustNews50 to get 50% off. That's the code JustNews50 at Factormeals.com. One more time, Factormeals.com slash JustNews50. Use the JustNews50 code and you will get 50% off your first order. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing.
1: Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind
0: farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports. So, so thankful that you could join us. today. Great interviews, great guests. Just think about what Michael's beginning to create as a disruptive force in the state news ecosystems in this country. Very important to have that counterbalance, that alternative reporting going on that augments and, in some cases, debunks the mainstream corporate media's false narratives that have been built. really important moment in that history. Tune in tomorrow. We've got a great show. Chris Miller, the former Secretary of the Pentagon, will start thinking about the 21st anniversary on Sunday of the 9-11 terror attacks. Chris Miller has a lot to say about that, the withdrawal from Afghanistan State of the country as we know it now. you want to catch that tomorrow. And then on Sunday, the entire show will be dedicated to the heroes of 9-11, to the legacy of 9-11, so that none of us in America ever forget that important day. Here's an interesting thing. Did you know less than 20 states require their school systems to teach about 9-11? That's a travesty that needs to be fixed. One of our guests, Frank Siller, whose brother died in the towers in 9-11 as a firefighter, He's going to talk about that and what he's doing to create a curriculum to change that. That's going to be a fun one on Sunday. All right. Before we go, I always like to shout out our extraordinary partners, sponsors, advertisers, the people who make what we do at Just the News possible. They are there to create revenue for us and to support us. And what's great about them, they have incredible services and products, and they make special offers because you're a member of the Just the News family. One of those is one of my favorites. It's called the Donors Trust They are a organization that allows you to make sure that your charitable donations align with your values, and that's important. Why invest in something that might go off the rails? Last year, the Salvation Army was getting into CRT. I like the Salvation Army's mission normally, but not when it gets involved in silly things like CRT. Well, Donors Trust protects you, maximizes your giving power. Make sure that what you donate goes to the causes and charities that represent your values so that you extend your values into the philanthropic space. Donors Trust was built with folks like you and me and mine. We're like-minded, we believe in limited government and constitutional rights, and we know they're worth fighting for. And if you already have a donor-advised fund, consider opening a rollover account. It can be done in three simple steps by calling my friends the Donors Trust. The Donors Trust team will work with you to protect your charitable legacy and help you achieve your charitable goals Lining your values with the recipients of your money. Partner with a fund that matches your values. You know, that's a, that's such an important concept. Don't, don't underestimate that. Now, to take advantage of the special offer that Donors Trust is offering the Just the News John Solomon Reports family, just go to www.donorstrust.org slash just the news. That's pretty easy to remember. Donorstrust.org slash just the news. You get there, you're going to get started on a great mission to align your giving with your most important values. Set that compass and make sure that your donations are aligned with it. That's what Donors Trust does for you day in and tonight, day out. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports. God bless you. Tune in tomorrow, but we we'll begin a long weekend of good discussion about our incredible country and its legacy of this, the 21st anniversary weekend of the terrible 9-11 attacks. A moment in American history, grave as it was, that launched a whole new era of American politics, governance, Insecurity. We're going to pay tribute to it all weekend long. All right, folks, have a good night. God bless. We'll talk to you real soon. Folks, financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year, and then the inflation data came out. Threats like the erosion of the middle class, the disappearance of our borders, the growth of an unaccountable deep state, and the rise of globalist organizations. The course is self-paced so that you can start whenever and wherever. So start your free course, American Citizenship and its Decline, with my good friend, Victor Davis Hanson, today. How do you do that? Go right now to hillsdale.edu slash justnews to start. It's free and it's easy to get started. And it's an easy URL to remember. All you got to do, go to hillsdale.edu slash justnews. One more time, hillsdale.edu slash justnews.